Welcome back to Racing Pulse. We are live from the 39th Asian Racing Conference and all of the leading racing administrators have been here, including the chairman of the VRC, Neil Wilson, who joins us. Morning, Neil. How are you? Good morning, Michael. Very well, thank you. Um, pocket kerchief. Beautiful crisp shirt, everyone, tie done up Everyone dresses immaculately. like that at the races, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what did you make of um, the comments from Andrew Jones yesterday? It's not the first time that he's wanted to have a... In fact, I think Matt said, did he get kicked out of the Flemington mounting yard for no one, tie? He, I think day one he ran into strife <laughs> in the Flemington mounting yard. I don't think he got kicked out, but we had to find a tie for him to wear, <laughs> which uh, was an interesting start to first uh, first day at Flemington in his new role so uh, obviously in the last uh, 24 or less than 24 hours there's been a fair bit of traffic on this topic since Andrew mentioned it yesterday. Um, I understand he's spoken about it as being a personal view which is uh, something we just need to understand as well um, but I think the commentary over the last uh, period this morning and last night has been pretty accurate that it's a choice that you can make at Flemington you can come to Flemington and find a spot and wear what you wish uh, Everything from uh, chicken suits on Cup Day, which we see each year, and those those wonderful you know expressions of how people come and enjoy the day, right through to uh, very very serious and very formal sort of wear with uh, top hats and tails and so forth. The one the one point about guidelines versus making it compulsory that's an interesting point. Uh, our members area is compulsory, so people are not allowed in if they don't meet the the dress conditions, and they know that when they sign up as a member. We survey our members regularly and interestingly the overwhelming feedback we get from the vast majority is that they want the dress code to be at least what it is and some are asking for us to make it even tighter and certainly the compliance, they want us to make sure that everyone is complying. They want to be in that environment that feels like that and that's why we make it the way it is because that's what we sell as the proposition. So it's very much the members' view. Just one other point to make and I think it's being lost in the whole conversation is that, that fashion is actually, a, 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 racing is actually mm. a fashion category mm. worldwide mm. Uh, and it's a massive economy and, and it's very important to the, our industry that there are milliners and designers that work exclusively in the racing area and that's a, a very big part of this story as well. So you know, that's there for a reason, it's there to support the demand of what is seen as a sport where that dressing up for all ages uh, and we see young people come to the races now they don't have to dress up, but they do. Mm. And they have aspiration to be in areas where people are dressing up. So I guess the summary for us is that there's no intention for us to make any changes uh, at all. And in Are fact, you annoyed by the conversation? Uh, look, I, I think it's not the main game at the moment. Um, and it just seems to keep coming up. Um, we, we, um, we, we prefer to just uh, have those conversations uh, uh, and work through the data and make sure that all the facts are understood because some of the statements are not... Uh, made with a real understanding of, for example, the multi-million dollar industry that sits behind this and what it provides to the economy and, and what our members are actually telling us. This talk of fans, you know, need they want this. Well, our fans as members want to be in a place where people are complying with the regulations that are commensurate with what they expect. And the, the non-members who go to Flemington are happy to wear as you say, chicken suits, tutus, whatever it is. And, and that a lot of them are wearing suits and ties, yeah. and a lot of them are yeah. young people particularly, yeah. Yeah. and we have areas designated to young people. There's no requirement for what they yeah. wear, but they all, through looking at well, each other, dress up. I've got to... A 19-year-old and a 16-year-old, and you're 
your little girls are a bit littler, but Jackie, you say, and her friends, they love a dress-up day at the races, and my two kids dress like slobs all the time, but then when they, <laughs> they, when they go from? to the races with their <laughs> mates, they are so proud to be looking smart and, you know, even peacocking around a little bit. Well, that's the sort that's of, right. you know. The feedback we get is that it's a day where you can do that yeah. and you won't feel out of place. People like to dress up. I think that's the that's the issue. But you mentioned... You've been kicked out for not being oh, actually, properly attired, haven't true you? True story. I, there was an incident some time ago at uh, Flemington where I thought I was dressed reasonably well, but I got escorted out and we even did a little story on it in the Herald Sun and the, the editor wasn't happy with what I wore, so... Flemington won that battle, there's no doubt about that. Um, The SMS is overwhelmingly this morning say the major issue is price point. Yep, yeah. Now, as the the chairman of the VRC, can you give us an insight into how clubs can lower current prices and is it sustainable, is it feasible from a, a club monetary point of view? Yeah, and what I would say, and like any business, you know, we're we're running a business so that we can have an ongoing um, ongoing viable business but also invest into the business whether that be new stands and facilities and so forth so we, we run a business like other businesses to to make enough to put back into the business uh, and particularly as a not-for-profit that's our job uh, interestingly I think prices going up um, everyone should not read into that that we're trying to make more margin what we're seeing is that the costs are going up whether it's the cost of serving that beer whether it's the cost of buying that beer if we're to hold, at least hold the position that we've had previously, we have to add on the cost of that to the to the retail price. And we're seeing that in all sports because the providers of those products are common and their prices are going up. So we're not trying to get more margin out of that price increase. We're just trying to hold the margin we've got. And in some areas, we've gone backwards because we simply don't think we can pass that cost on, particularly to our members and, and the general public. So it is an issue. It's an issue at the moment of how do we get a price point that both maintains a level of, of cash for us that, that we need to, to manage the business, but also from a consumer point of view and from our, our race goers and our members' point of view is, is within an acceptable range. Do you um, outsource hospitality or is it done in-house where you cover the cost of, of the product, the food, the beverage and the service, or is it an outside entity comes in and they run everything which then is paid. Do you have any, I suppose, control over prices? We do. Yeah, yep. we do. Yeah, so we, we it's, a, it's a hybrid of that. So we have an organisation that supports us on the delivery of those services, but we have all of our partners like Lion and Mum and, and all of those uh, product providers uh, that as part of the working with them in their partnership, we're trying to get the best pricing we can so that we can pass on uh, the best price to our customers. It's... Um, the last couple of years, it's it's no surprise to anyone that the prices have gone up. There's been logistics issue, transport price increases, cost of, of labour, cost of goods, and all those prices have been fed into the products. So the, the price of a beer two years ago for us to buy it and then pass it on has gone up. So we've got two choices. We eat that price increase and progressively get to a point where we're just providing a service and making nothing out of it, which isn't good for the ongoing sustainability of the club and reinvesting in the club so that those facilities continue to improve and continue but to look and, and, the, and the track is as good as it is, as it is and all of the area is as good as it is. That, that, that's all part of it. So I, the message is really clear that we're not putting prices up to gain more. We're putting prices up to maintain <clears throat> our position that we've had. And as I said, some of those areas we've gone backwards and, and we're looking at pricing again this year 
both uh, food and beverage, but also entry. And we're looking at some different models there that have a lens of how do we get more people back to the races and take that impediment away, uh, but in a fair way that uh, that isn't just um, saying it's all for free. It's it's a it, it's we want to get to a position where that looks reasonable. If it's agreed that cost is the central issue relating to um, engagement on course. Is it feasible that is it reasonable and feasible that Racing Victoria, with its coffers, should be able to compensate for the margin to for the greater good? And, and, that, and that's a good thought, Matt. That if you really have at your top of your list that our number one priority is, uh, or one of the top three priorities is, is getting people back to the track, then like any scenario, you have to invest in that. And if there was a mindset of investing for a period of time to get people back and then get into a more sustainable ongoing model. An industry investment, not a club investment. Possibly, yep. possibly. Yep. But, but, but they're, they're big conversations to, to actually measure the return on that. And so if you're looking at making an investment from an industry point of view across prize money or infrastructure or equine welfare or pricing to get people back to track, that's a good conversation to have and mm. one that we'd be delighted to sit around the table and work through the best return on funds linked to the priorities of the industry yeah. and if we're saying the priority of the industry is we want more people on track let's invest in it and get to an operating mode where people are now back on the track they're enjoying what they might have forgotten and new people are coming young people are coming and we'll keep them coming and that and and sometimes um, in, in those sort of cases there's not an instant calculable return is there it's more of a a long-term strategy for re-engagement isn't it so you're not going to get automatic bang for your buck are you for that no no, but I think I think it is it is in this situation a very measurable um, uh, outcome. Yep. Attendance you measure. So if you mm. invested X dollars and said yep. we, we want to increase attendance by fifteen percent, whether you know that that investment made that fifteen dollars yep. all of it happen yep. uh, is debatable. Yep. But if you generally say yep. that's one of the pe- one of the inputs to improving attendance, along mm. with all the other things you're doing, yep. uh, and you get a fifteen percent outcome, then you would say. We've made the right decision. As do, do, you, do you believe that the prices are too high, not just at VRC, but all race clubs at the moment, in the current economic climate that we're in for people to go to the races? I, I think it comes back to the point about what organisations and sporting clubs are prepared to, where they're prepared to invest. And investing would be reducing their margin. If they're making a dollar on the beer, are they happy to make nothing? And it's more than that, of course. But that, that's the investment mindset. And I think some clubs and some uh, venues will be thinking about that. They'll be thinking about how do we retain the customers by actually investing, by not making the margin we used to, and holding these customers until things start to turn a little. And I guess part of that is our thinking as well. Where are we at with rewarding on-course punters? This has been discussed for years and years and nothing's really been achieved. I know on-course bookies are feeling more and more vulnerable than ever before. Uh, is there something dramatic that can be done as well as the lowering of the cost but the, the motivation for punters to go to the races to be rewarded by better prices? Yeah, I think that um, we've done a lot with, uh, with TAB on that. So we have, uh, as they have location-based betting in their venues, yep. Yep. Uh, Flemington is a venue. Yep. So we've seen situations where you walk through the gates of Flemington, you're then in the zone, yep. Yep. so you'll get extra bet-tight uh, benefits yep. and you'll get more bonus betting. And we have, a, we have that for our members as well. They get another tier. So there is an incentive yep. to come on track 
to actually enjoy um, some upside from, from TAB in, in the way that they've worked with us to actually get that ring around Flemington on a race day. And if you're inside the ring, you do get some benefits. What about the bookies, the on-course bookies? The on-course bookies are, are dealing with uh, uh, what's going on with all of the, the, the corporate bookmakers and yep. what's happening with TAB yep. and the bet types and the exotics and a whole range of things. And so they're, they're obviously being challenged with the, the array of betting and, the, and, and what's, what, what a betting person has in their wallet to yep. be able to spend. So... Um, I think a number of them are reinventing themselves and offering yep. different things, so I think that will need to continue. Yep. We're running out of time, but quickly I wanted to touch on uh, the Spring Carnival from the VRC's point of view. Uh, are you comfortable where it's going to land? Do you think there is going to be much disruption which may affect your Spring Carnival? And also, can we expect more after what you did with Champions Day last year? Yeah, I think, I mean, our starting position is that we very much are up for looking at opportunities to to improve the Spring Carnival. I think we need to understand what we're trying to improve and by how much. I think as data is flowing now, we're starting to see that this part of November, the second part of November or the later November, seems to be a place that we could do better from a wagering point of view. But there are many other considerations from a club point of view as well in terms of our sponsors and our members and how we think about that. Uh, I I think uh, we don't know the outcome yet. We haven't heard the outcome from the board meeting. Um, We have some concerns about... um, the impacts associated with those changes but we don't know what the outcome has been and, and what changes are going to be put in place or not um, we, we've certainly been uh, in com- conversation with uh, with uh, Racing Victoria through the process, I think we'd like to be more involved, we probably think collaboration versus consultation, there's sort of an interesting sort of difference and um, we, we'd love to be at the table and we've got a lot of great ideas like Champion Stakes Day like what we're doing in, in, in autumn this year with three Group 1 race days across mm. uh, across March with the All-Star Mile nestled in there as well. That's got to be one of the best months of racing globally um, that you'll see, and that's innovation and change. Um, so we feel like we've demonstrated that we're up for, up for those sorts of things, and uh, we'd love to continue to work with the industry on that. On that subject of the Spring Carnival, Belinda Glass from Ballarat and Neil Bainbridge from Cranbourne are here at this conference today and we're going to try and get them a little bit later this morning to make their case for the argument that it falls off a cliff uh, at the end of Cup Week, what their response to that claim is. So we might try and grab at least one of those two because they're the next cabs off the rank. Yeah, I think it'll be fascinating and their voice needs to be heard as well. Uh, Neil, of course. I was going to say, as we wrap up, what a field for the Black Caviar Lightning stuff. It's magnificent, stuff. isn't it? Yeah, it's, uh, I think we're very lucky uh, to see to see the field that we've got. And, uh, I mean, the race itself, uh, for those that don't know, was uh, last year um, that's the biggest group uh, sprint race in the world um, by ratings. Mm. That says something about the quality of the race. And we've seen this year the addition is representing that quality and hopefully we'll be uh, there again. Get trackside uh, to we'll Flemington. We'll be there. We'll be there. Saturday. Uh, great to see you, Neil. And uh, we will look forward to um, pumping up the Festival of Racing and all the big meetings coming up at Flemington in the coming weeks. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Matt. Quick break on the other side of this. Matt Welsh from Racing Victoria will join us.